The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you haven't done so already. Uh, We are in the midst of a series right now entitled Rooted, and our goal throughout this series has simply been to discuss why we do everything that we do. It shades. Like, what's the purpose behind everything we do? What's it all rooted in? And what we've been saying so far is that if we dig down to the bottom of everything, all that we do is rooted in this purpose, our purpose statement. Glorifying God by loving Him, loving others, and making disciples among all peoples. Just like last week, I promise not to overuse this thing. I'm only using this laser pointer right here at the beginning because I have a couple of things up here that I would like to point out to you. But everything that we do is rooted in this purpose statement. And last week, we began to answer the question, how? How is everything we do rooted in that purpose? And our simple answer was we root everything we do in that purpose by being gospel-centered. By being centered on the gospel. Last week I showed you this mark right up here for the first time and told you this was designed by one of our elders here, Andrew Thompson. And I hope that immediately what you can see is the outline, a simple outline of a tree. There's the ground, trunk, and you got like a kid drawing an apple tree up there. And the reason for the tree is because this mark is meant to remind us how we're rooted, like a tree, how we're rooted in our purpose. It reminds us that we are rooted in this purpose by being gospel-centered. That's why the cross is right at the center of the mark. We're rooted in our purpose by being gospel-centered. Everything that we do, through all that we do, we're going to remain centered on the gospel. So, through all of our worship, we're going to remain centered on the gospel. Through all of our serving, we're going to be centered on the gospel. Through all of our community, centered on the gospel. And through all of our mission, we're going to be centered on the gospel. That is everything that we do at Shades. It falls into one of those four categories. Worship, serving, community, and mission. And all of that is meant to keep us centered on the gospel so that we remain rooted in our purpose. When you see this mark, what I hope goes through your brain is this. We are centered on the gospel through worship, serving, community, and mission. We're centered on the gospel through worship, serving, community, and mission. And that keeps us rooted. Last week, we began to zoom in on worship and ask the question, when we come together and worship together, how does our worship, the way that we do it, the way we practice worship together, how does that keep us centered on the gospel? This week, what I want us to do is move to the next thing. I want us to zoom in on serving for the rest of our time together. How does our serving, and when I say serving, I mean serving one another within the body of Christ, serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to talk about serving those outside of this body. We're going to talk about that when we get to mission. That's the heading we put all of that under. But when I say serving, I'm talking about within this body. How does our serving one another keep us gospel-centered? I think that we see the answer in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. So that's why you're there, starting out in chapter 12, which this is actually where we ended our time together last week. 
And what we saw, if you remember, is that this letter is written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, Greece, and he writes this letter because the church in Corinth is having just a couple of issues. And one of the issues that they are having, the one he's going to address in these chapters, concerns spiritual gifts. So we're going to talk a lot about spiritual gifts this morning. And as soon as I say that, you may be thinking, Jonathan, I thought you just said we were going to talk about serving. Now you're saying we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. And that, Shades, is because the two of those things go together. They go together because at the most basic level, like this is me attempting to define what a spiritual gift is for you. Okay, At the most basic level, a spiritual gift is any way in which the Holy Spirit works through you to build up the body of Christ. It's any way the Holy Spirit works through you to build up the body of Christ, to serve the body of Christ. A spiritual gift is given to you to serve the body. That's what it is. Look, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. Service and gifts aren't two different things right there. Paul's using multiple words to expand our understanding of what gifts are and what they're for. Gifts are for serving. Gifts are given by the Spirit and they're used to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. You are gifted by the Spirit to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in everything you do in action like that is empowered by God. To what end? To what purpose? Why does the Spirit give you this gift to serve Jesus Christ, to be empowered by? Why? Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Like the entire point of a spiritual gift is the common good, to serve the body. And the problem at Corinth is that they had made spiritual gifts not about serving the body, but about serving themselves. Spiritual gifts weren't about building up the body, it was about building up themselves. Some people within the Corinthian church thought that having certain spiritual gifts made them superior to others. Most specifically, it was the gift of speaking in tongues. They thought if you could do that, then you're like a first-class Christian. Everybody else is like an economy class on the Christianity plane. Just close the curtain. We don't even want to see those people back there. Make them use the bathroom at the back of the plane. Can't come up here and tell. I'm not bitter against first-class people. But they were using their giftings to separate themselves, make themselves seem superior. They weren't using their gifts to build up the body, but to build up self. Not to serve the body, but to serve the self. And as a result, many people in Corinth didn't even feel like they belonged to the body. I don't speak in tongues. I don't have that gift. Maybe I don't even deserve to be a part of this thing. They felt like they didn't belong. And so Paul writes to counter these two things. Corinthians are supposed to be building up the body, but they're not. And so others feel like they don't belong. So Paul writes to counter those two. He writes to say the point of spiritual gifts, the point of serving is that you belong and you build up. 
You belong and you build it. it it's this two-pronged purpose of serving that keeps us centered on the gospel. How? How? That's what we're going to dig into one at a time. So let's take these, this two-pronged purpose, spiritual gifts, this two-pronged purpose of serving. Let's take them one at a time and see how they keep us centered on the gospel. So first, belonging. First, serving. If I was going to put it in a sentence for you, here it is. Serving reminds you that you belong to the body because of the gospel. Serving reminds you that you belong to the body because of the gospel. Look at verse 12. Paul says, For just as the body is one, he's talking about a human body, flesh, bone. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul looks at this fragmenting church in Corinth, and he gives them a picture, a metaphor, an illustration of, of what they should be. And he says, Let's, let me give you this picture of a body. Like, like, just take a look at the human body. That's a good picture, Paul says, of what the church should be like. This is actually where our language comes from of calling us a body. We talk about the body all the time. This is where that language comes from. And so Paul sets this picture before us, and the first thing that he draws our attention to is the unity of the body. Do you see that? The body's got all sorts of different members. It's got ears and eyes and fingers and toes. It's even got members that you can't see, lungs, heart, liver, bones. But it's all united, though there's many members, they're all united in one body. Paul says, so it is with Christ. Like he looks at this church at Corinth and he says, as Christians, we may be of different races, have different ethnic backgrounds. We may be of different social classes, come from various economic situations. We may be from different cultures or subcultures, but we are unified as one body. Why? Verse 13, because in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body because of the gospel. Because of the God, because through faith in Jesus Christ, we've all received the same Holy Spirit, Paul says. We've all become a part of this same thing, the church. We've all become a part of the same body. We're united as one body. That does not mean that we are all the same. Paul emphasizes that point. We may have the same Holy Spirit, but he works through each of us in different ways. We have a unity in the body, but Paul also says there is a diversity. We have unity, but then he emphasizes diversity. Look at verse 16, I mean, excuse me, 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it less any part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less any part, a part of the body. We've already said that because many of the Corinthians were elevating themselves and valuing certain giftings over others, it made certain people feel like they didn't belong. That's the exact wording that Paul uses. It made them feel like they didn't belong because they didn't have the right gift. Have you ever felt that way? Like within the body of Christ, have you ever felt unneeded? Like you didn't belong because you don't have a particular 
gifting. Maybe it's not speaking in tongues for us, but there do tend to still be certain giftings that we elevate. They get way more attention. Maybe you felt like you don't belong or you're unneeded because I, I don't have a gift for teaching. I can't lead a community group. I can't sing or play an instrument or whatever. I'm not needed. Paul says that that kind of perspective is like a foot lamenting the fact that it's not a hand. Or, or, or it's like a, an eye, an ear lamenting the fact that it's not an, an eye. Paul says that's, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's not logical. A body needs feet and ears just as much as it needs eyes and hands. The diversity is necessary for the life of the body. And you, as an individual, are necessary for the life of the body of Christ. We may be able to live without a set of eyes, but it's not optimal. You might be able to live without a foot, but it's not optimal. And shades may be able to go on without you, but it's not optimal. You are necessary. This is the next thing we see. We, Paul says there's unity in the body, there's diversity in the body, and necessity in the body. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body weren't here, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So Paul gives us this ridiculous picture in order to prove his point. He's like, I want you to imagine if the whole body were just an eye or just an ear. Like at that point, you no longer have an organism. You just have a giant organ. It's not good for anything. It's not good for life. But Paul is saying, look, Corinth, look, Shades. God is not after a pile of pinkies. <laughs> you're complaining because you're not a pinky. He doesn't need everybody to be a pinky. A pile of pinkies is not worth much. He made you into a body that needs all of its individual parts for life. If you are here at Shades, God has brought you here because you are needed. And you are necessary. Because without you, we are not a whole body. You may look around and see different things at Shades and be like, man, there are some things over here that could be improved. There's some things over here that people aren't doing that they should be doing, ways that people could be serving. God has probably brought you here because you're a nose and you smell that and none of the rest of us do. And we need you. Needed, necessary. Without you, we are not a whole body. And on the flip side of that, if you're here at Shades and you are an active part of Shades, like you're connected, you actively serve the body, you may be thinking, well, this sermon is not for me, it's for people who aren't active, who aren't connected, who need to be serving. No, the, the fact that they're not serving concerns you just as much. You should be concerned about those who are not yet connected because they are indispensable to the health of this place, to your health. We're not okay without them. You're less without them. We are less without them. Look at verses 21 and 22. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Indispensability. We've seen unity, diversity, necessity, indispensability. There's so many parts of your own body that you take for granted until something goes wrong. I don't ever spend hardly any time thinking about my heart, lungs, or liver, but they are indispensable. I can't, I can't live without them. The parts of the body that I don't see, maybe that I think of less or think of as inferior or, or weaker, they're indispensable. The same is true for us as a body. There are those of you out there and you spend so much time on your knees praying for this body and praying for it and nobody knows it and nobody sees it, you are indispensable. The indispensable. There are people who we never think about while we sit in here who serve our children. They are indispensable. There are those among you here who you, you cry with others, you counsel others, you invite people into your home, you anonymously provide for needs, you encourage, you comfort, you share your life and your home. You're indispensable. Every member is necessary and indispensable because there is a body reality. Paul highlights it in verse 26. See the body reality with me. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Unity, diversity, necessity, indispensability, they all add up to this body reality. If one of us suffers, we all suffer. Is that not a body reality? I mean, does it not take something as simple as a common cold to shut you down? This small little organ on my body, if it stops working, nothing else wants to work. My brain begins to fog up and my head pounds and then my throat starts hurting and my chest gets congested and all I want to do is go to sleep because my nose isn't working. One part suffers, the whole body suffers. But the flip is true as well. Flip side, if, if one part is honored, if one part rejoices, then all rejoice with it. If, if everyone here who is a part of this body is doing what the Spirit has gifted them to do, if all of our diversity is coming together with one unified purpose to build one another up in Christ, then we all rejoice together. This is how serving keeps us gospel-centered. It reminds us we belong to the body. You belong. Serving reminds us that we belong to the body through the gospel. Through faith in Jesus Christ, He's given you the Spirit who empowers you to be a unique, necessary, indispensable part of this body reality. Serving reminds us that we belong to the body because of the gospel. It keeps us gospel-centered. But that's not the only way that serving keeps us gospel-centered. There's a second thing I mentioned that we also need to see, not just belonging, but also building up. Second thing we need to see, I'll put it in a sentence for you. Serving 
is designed to build up the body through the gospel. So we've seen that serving reminds you that you belong to the body because of the gospel. Now we see serving is designed to build up the body through the gospel. Paul says this over and over again. We've already seen it once, but he's going to say it over and over again throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14. Here's the whole purpose of serving, that you're building up the body through the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3. Go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. He says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit or by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul begins this entire discussion about spiritual gifts, this entire discussion about serving the body with with this overarching banner, Jesus is Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit empowers you to say. That's what he empowers you to point towards. This truth about who Jesus is, which we call the gospel. This is what Jesus himself said that the Holy Spirit would empower each of us to do as believers in him. In John chapter 16 and verse 14, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit, this is what he tells them. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. When he comes, this is what he'll do. This is what his purpose is. This is what he's going to empower you to do. He will glorify me. Jesus says it again with a little bit different words in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, speaking to his disciples just before he ascends. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will receive power. He's going to empower you for what? And you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and provide power for you to bear witness to me. He's going to glorify me through you to the ends of the the ends of the earth. This is what the Spirit empowers the church to do. Empowers you to do. Point to Jesus. Glorify Jesus. And this is how we build one another up through Holy Spirit-empowered service. We point one another to Christ. When you pray for your brothers and sisters in the Lord, you're pointing them to Christ. You're pointing them to the source of everything they need. You go to God. You get on your knees, you humble yourself, and you come before God Almighty. You're pointing people to Christ. When When we teach community groups, and here when we preach, I hope that we are pointing people to Christ. When you encourage people or comfort them, what encouragement are you offering them? What comfort as they suffer, as they go through sickness, if they, as they're facing the death of a loved one, what, what comfort do you offer them? Do you not offer them the comfort of what is real and true in Christ? You point them to, to Christ. This is the whole point of Spirit-empowered service, not to show off our own spirituality or to serve ourselves, but to serve one another. Look at verse 7. We read this earlier. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the common good, for the body. A spiritual gift is given to you in order to be given through you. Spiritual gift is given to you in order to be given through you. It's like when my children give my wife a Christmas present. Their mom, they all they give her a Christmas present every year. They gave her a Christmas present this past year. Kind of. 
I give them the money, right? In order for them to purchase this present. And if I gave them the money and they just kept it and celebrated, we're rich. It would rob the entire gift of its point and purpose. The gift is given to them in order to be given through them. This is the same thing with a spiritual gift. It's given to you to be given through you. 1 Peter 4.10 says it rather explicitly. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. It's been given to you to give away. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Peter goes on to say, you do this by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You're given a gift for the power of God to work through others to point them to Christ, to point them to His power for His glory. This is what you do. This is how we love one another, by serving one another and pointing each other to Christ. Corinth wasn't doing this. Not at all. They're serving themselves. And so Paul takes the entire next chapter, chapter 13, to tell Corinth, I don't care how spiritual your gifts look, how powerful your gifts look, if they are not being used in loving, sacrificial service of one another, they're worthless. Look at it, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, that was the one they were really elevating, right? He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Like, great, you can look as powerful as you want. If this is all about you and not in loving, self-sacrificial service of the church to build up one another, you're like a noisy cymbal. No offense, Brad. He plays drums. Keeps going, verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Check out verse 3, if I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul says you can look as absolutely spiritual as you can be a martyr. And if this is all about you and your own glory, it's pointless. This has got to be motivated by love. That's what he says in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude, which is exactly what the Corinthians were being. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You've probably heard these verses before, most likely at a wedding. But hearing them in their original context makes them take on a little bit of a whole different meaning, doesn't it? This is a description of Holy Spirit-empowered love in the church. This is the way that we serve one another. Not, not using our serving as a, a platform for self-glory. No, we take a posture of self-humbling and you use your gifts to love one another and build each other up in Christ. Paul's going to spend all of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 harping on that point. 
And he's going to go specifically, he's going to address the very specific issue that the Corinthians are dealing with, speaking in tongues. We obviously do not have time to tackle speaking in tongues and prophecy this morning. I did a series on the the sermon we're doing this morning is basically a compression of a series we did in 2012 that took me five sermons. Okay, so if you want to know all of the great details that we went through, we went verse by verse through chapter 14 twice. Then go to our website, click on the sermon area and search for the controversial gift of speaking in tongues or the controversial gifts of prophecy. There are sermons there, resources there. We don't have time this morning. But that's not even Paul's main point in 1 Corinthians 14. His main point is the one that we've been exploring. Corinth, you are using certain gifts to elevate yourself and pretend like you are first-class Christians and everybody else is below. You're using it for your own glory. And so Paul tackles that issue head on and says the true purpose of all spirit-empowered service is to build up the body. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 12. He says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Look down at verse 26. What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Let all things be done for building up. This is how serving keeps us gospel-centered. It's designed to build up the body through the gospel, through pointing people to Jesus. Serving is designed to build up the body through the gospel. So the question becomes, Do you belong to the body through serving? You've believed in Christ. He has done this for you, given you the Holy Spirit to empower you in a unique way as a way of you belonging. Do you belong to the body through serving? Do you build up the body through serving? You've been gifted by the Spirit to do just that. And perhaps, like, as we've been walking through all of this, perhaps the question that's been lingering in your mind is, all of that is great, Jonathan, but how? Like, how have I, I don't see any gifting here, I don't see the Spirit at work, how have I been gifted by the Spirit to belong to the body, to build up the body? It's a common question, and many churches answer that question by showing you a list of spiritual gifts. You want to know how you've been gifted to belong to the body, to build up the body? Here is a master list of spiritual gifts. Yours is on here somewhere. Find it. And if you're like, I can't find that, then they're like, no worries. We have a test for you to take. And this test, as authorized by the Apostle Paul, We'll determine what your spiritual gift is. I I jest, some of you may be getting upset. Don't get upset with me just yet, okay? What should you do if you don't know how you belong to the body and how you're equipped by the Spirit to build up the body? Should you take a test? I obviously, as I've been kidding, would say no. Let me give you three reasons why not. First, spiritual gifts tests are limited. They're limited. What I mean by that is they are limited to the gifts listed in Scripture. 
There's roughly four lists in Scripture. There's two in 1 Corinthians 12. There's one in Romans 12. There's one in 1 Peter 4. And what people do, none of those lists are the same. There's no master list of spiritual gifts in Scripture, no authoritative list. So people will take those, they'll compare them and kind of compile them to come up with, here's the list of spiritual gifts, and they limit it to that list. Here's the problem. None of those lists were meant to be exhaustive. All of them were meant to be examples, just examples. In 1 Corinthians 12, as Paul is saying, you're the body of Christ, Spirit works through you for the common good. Here's some examples. Here's some different ways of what that that looks like. But the actual number of ways that the Holy Spirit can gift the people of God is limitless, boundless. Even some of the gifts we're told about in Scripture are more categories than they are specific gifts hospitality how many thousands of ways can that play out mercy helps administration how many millions of ways can those things how many different shapes can they they take the holy spirit of god is not limited by a list he can empower you to do something you never could before you became a believer like teach that's my story. Like before I became a believer, I would never have to, can't teach, can't do public speaking, not at all. Hate that junk. If I had been up here as a new member and Ed had done to me what he did to those poor folks just earlier, I'd have been like, dude, you say something. I'm not doing it. Like perhaps the Holy Spirit will empower you to do something you otherwise couldn't do before. Or perhaps the Holy Spirit will take a talent that you already possessed and use it to point people to Jesus. Art, music. Maybe you already were gifted with hospitality. And, and he takes those things and empowers them to do something they weren't doing before. The possibilities are boundless because at the end of the day, a spiritual gift is any way. I said that at the beginning. Is any way the Holy Spirit empowers you to point others to Jesus. So don't take a test. They are too limiting. Second reason not to take a test. They, they, they can be misleading. Spiritual gifts test can be misleading. In other words, you, spiritual gifts tests, they, they're, they're kind of like a personality test, right? I have often said that if I want to get an accurate reading on one of these personality tests, like the, the, the big popular one right now is the Enneagram thing, right? Some of you are like way into it. You're like just set up and you're like, let's talk about that for the rest of the time. <laughs> Not going to happen. Okay. I've often said that my wife should take it for me because when I answer those questions, I answer what I want me to be like the idealized version of me that I have in my head, she tells the truth. And this happens when you take a spiritual gifts test. Like you answer it according to your preferences. I took, I don't know how many spiritual gifts tests I took growing up. I never got teaching. Not once. Because I hated it. I answered according to my preferences. Not according to what the Spirit was doing but according to what was going on with me. 
If I relied on spiritual gifts tests to tell me how the Spirit was at work in my life, I never would have taught. I never would have pastored. They can be misleading. So they can be limiting, they can be misleading. Third and final reason that I'll give you is a historical reason. And I kind of joked about it earlier, but spiritual gifts tests are not the way that 1,900 years worth of Christians discovered their spiritual gifts. Like, they didn't show up until the 1900s. Paul never took one. Peter never took one. Augustine never took one. Irenaeus never took one. Martin Luther never took one. Aquinas never took one. And on down the list it goes. Like, 1,900 years worth of Christians didn't take spiritual gifts. Yet, they all seem to be able to serve the body in the power of the Holy Spirit. How? How did they discover the way the Spirit was at work in them? How should we discover the way the Spirit works through us to make us belong to the body and build up the body? Let me give you three things. First, pray revolutionary, I know, right? But it's just really, it's, it's really indicative or almost more of an indictment of Western intellectual Christianity that we would rather take a test and a scientific method of figuring out what's going on than to pray. Ask the Lord. Pray. Ask, Lord, show me how it is you're equipping me to belong to the body, to, to build up the body. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers you. And He's not playing hide and seek with how He does that. Pray. Second, listen. Listen, listen to the body. God has placed people around you who can affirm how they see the Lord at work in you. Ask those closest to you, how, how do you see the Holy Spirit empowering me? How, how do you see God at work through me to serve you, to, to serve others? This is how I ended up preaching and teaching. It was because of the body of Christ, the church, that said to me, Jonathan, this is what we see God doing in your, your life. So pray and listen. Listen to the body. And third, Serve. Serve. Like one of the greatest ways to discover where God has gifted you to serve the body is simply to jump in and start serving. You'll figure out pretty quick whether or not what you jumped into is what you're gifted at or not. As a kid, this is how I figured out that basketball was my sport. I tried to play baseball and football. It did not go well. Like, I didn't sit back and analyze my skill set. Well, clearly basketball, is that's what the test says. Basketball is what I should do. I just, I just played. And I figured it, it out. This, this is what you do. You just jump in. And you can jump in in a multitude of ways here at Shades. There, there are ways to jump in here at Shades that are official ways to serve, and there are organic ways to serve. What do I mean by that? By official, I mean that we have various serving teams, like to have like an official list, and you can sign up and be a part of that team and serve in that way. There's hospitality and coffee and greeters and facilities and children and worship leading and finance and community group leaders and on and on and on and on and on it goes. 
You can sign up for any of those things and jump in and serve in an official capacity. But what I simultaneously want to say and emphasize is that serving in this body does not always mean signing up on an official list. There are also organic ways to serve this body. Natural ways. For for instance, uh, Bill Ferris... Sorry to call you out, Bill, but Bill is gifted in intercessory prayer. He didn't sign up for that. He didn't ask permission for that. He just does that. I'm just curious. If Bill has ever prayed for you personally. That's my point. It does it for I got a text from him this morning with him praying for me. He constantly serves this body praying with people, encouraging them, pointing them to Jesus. Sharon Ponder, I'm sorry for calling you out, Sharon, but Sharon is one of the largest encouragers in this body. She, she encourages me. She's basically my adopted Birmingham mother. Like She didn't sign up for that. She just does it. I could go through individual... After individual, there are many of you who open your homes to people in this body, and you do so much discipleship just around your kitchen table, and on and on and on the organic serving goes. You can serve this body in organic ways, empowered by the Spirit to build up others and point them to Jesus. So, if you're wondering, how does the Spirit empower me to belong to the body, to build up the body. Just jump in and serve. Pray, listen to the body, and serve. And at the end of the day, I would say this. Don't be so concerned about being able to put a name on your spiritual gift. Be concerned with pointing people to Christ. be so concerned with being able to say, well, this is what my spiritual gift is. Most of us want to be able to put a label on that out of some sense of pride, and that's exactly what they're not supposed to be. Be concerned with pointing people to Christ. What we have been gifted with is not the point. What we have been gifted for is the point. Building up the body in Christ in the gospel. Serving keeps us gospel-centered because Serving reminds you that you belong to the body because of the gospel. And serving is designed to build up the body through the gospel. Lord, we pray that all of our serving will always be rooted in and centered on your gospel. Amen.